Hello, everyone. I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters. And now I invite you to settle in and let us find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as meaningful and sacred as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. So uh, first of all, I would just notice I obviously I video record these because they also go up on our YouTube channel and I'm in a sweatshirt because it's the weekend. And then I thought I would say something about it that I realized it probably doesn't look any different than the way I normally dress. So um, anyway, I am in a sweatshirt today and it feels really comfortable, but I hope that you enjoy today's podcast because today's podcast is titled, If There Is a God, Why Is There Suffering? Now, I'll be the first to admit that this is one of the most challenging questions to answer. Answer, And as I've mentioned before in a previous podcast, some of the questions that we are now receiving require more space and gentleness around the answers. And I really do appreciate that. I can tell that people are wanting to go deeper and explore things on a different level. And I so am so honored to be on that journey with you. But I'm going to state right at the beginning that there are no simple answers to this question. So fast forwarding through this podcast isn't going to help you because what we're going to talk about today is going to build upon layers until we get to the end. So I'm just going to invite you to take a deep breath with me together and let's, let's just dive into this. Now, out of all the questions that we get, none touches me greater than when someone asks something like, if there is a God, why, why is there suffering? And this time it came in the form of a con comment where a follower concluded her question with no one can answer this question for me. Now that final statement reveals her frustration with seeking a satisfying answer, but it also could mean that the answers she received simply just did not quell her desire to seek meaning to this question and a possible rephrasing here. No one should answer this question for you in absolutes. I just don't believe that anything that we humans have figured out about the spiritual realm or the heavenly realm or the divine that could absolutely point us with absolute clarity of why God allows suffering. But we're going to start our conversation today by looking at the story of Job. Now, if you are navigating through Christianity or deconstructing from it, you have no doubt heard the story of Job because its use varies depending on denominational theology. I've heard it used uh, to uh, teach about human sin causing suffering uh, to a story intended to inspire or encourage or even admonish us about how we should approach our own personal suffering. So just for a quick recap, in case it's been a while since you um, have heard the story of Job, the book of Job is found in what is known as the Christian, what the Christian Bible calls the Old Testament. And it's one of those most recognized stories in the Bible, but it's not exclusive just to Judaism because the Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible that is still an active and sacred part of the Jewish faith, or it's also not exclusive to Christianity. Some versions of the Job story have been found among other nations' ancient texts, and the biblical version of Job is dated to be about 500 BCE. 
So in the story of Job, Satan enters the picture, but not as an evil figure. Satan is simply a heavenly figure, so influential that he has a seat at God's throne where Satan is able to converse directly with God through no intercession. So in other words, this, this being apparently has a direct access and is so powerful and influential that there's no intercession needed. This, this being can talk directly to God. So this is indeed a powerful figure. Now let's hold that point because, oh my goodness, it would be such an interesting time to take a detour and go down this deep rabbit hole and talk about Satan, but we just can't do that. But I promise that on a later podcast, we'll come back and we'll visit uh, the topics around Satan and do some uh, deep dives into that. But during this conversation with Satan and God, Job just happened to come into the conversation. And Satan suggests that Job is only a good person because he has so many blessings in his life. Everything about his life is good. He has riches. He has property. He has a family. He has good health. Everything you could possibly want, right? But Satan challenges, would he be so faithful if that faithfulness was not rewarded so abundantly as it has been? Now, God is not having this and says that Job's faithfulness stands on its own. He'd be faithful without all the things that are right and rich about his life. And to test this, God allows Satan to do what he wants to, to Job, to see if his faithfulness endures. So every tragedy you can imagine sweeps down on Job. He loses all his wealth, his wives and his children are killed, and then his health is also ravaged. So now Job is alone, destitute, and in unimaginable pain. So the question becomes, will he be as faithful to his God as he was when he lived with all the riches and abundance that he had? So this is when we, in the story that we first meet three of Job's friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. Now, I remember during one of my first courses in biblical studies, reading that these friends represent the three areas of our subconscious that arrive when we are debating a life crisis. And that would be a really interesting uh Another deep dive into a rabbit hole, and I'll park that for later too. You can always email us at info at numasoul.com and reference the podcast. If there's something about that I, I park here and you really want to know something about it, perhaps I can help help you at least point you in the right direction so that you can do some more deep dives. But over and over and over again, we read in the book of Job that Job's friends who showed up present ways to challenge Job's steadfastness, that he is a righteous man. Job cannot think of anything that he has done to anger God that caused all of these tragedies to come Job's way. His friends remind him that God only rewards faithfulness, righteousness, and so how can this be happening? And then Job's friends even double down and they start to quote scripture to remind him of how the Hebrew people have suffered when they haven't been faithful. Remember when King David in 2 Samuel uh, 24, King David defies God, has a census, angers God, to which uh, David has to decide which uh, calamity they're going to experience. He chooses a plague that kills 70,000 Israelites. We also read in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32 that Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land because of his lack of faith. If you remember, God took him right to the edge and said, you will not enter. How 
how, what kind of emotions that must have been for, for Moses to travel all that time out in the wilderness only to get to the edge of it and not be able to, to see it, but not be able to uh, enter. And this could go on for the next hour, but just follow the Hebrews through the promised land and see how often their actions resulted in consequences by God. So their story is deeply entrenched in good works equals God's favor. And that has followed us into Christian theology. So even though uh, there isn't necessarily that that's talking about globbing on to what is Old Testament scripture and saying, well, it also applies to today, that is exactly what, what has happened. So based on all of this, Job's friends continually circle back to say Job needs to face the reality and confess his sins so that God will return favor to him. If you're hearing something in the background, that's because it is Saturday. I'm sorry, it's uh, the weekend and my uh, husband just made a shake because it's lunchtime. So <laughs> I love that, you know, my studio has to studio, I put air quotes here, has to function as many different things. Maybe someday we'll have a, a soundproof studio, but this works for us right now. All right. So back to the story of Job. Job refused to entertain any time his friends continually pressed upon him that there must have been something he did to cause God's anger to be directed towards him for him to lose everything. But Job knew that he was not deserving of punishment. And he continually firmly rejected his friend's view of, of the tragedies that were bestowed upon his life. Now, this went on for several chapters. So we're going to fast forward to the end really quick, because that is where we find Job, Job's life being fully restored and his health and his wealth. So at the end at Job 42, uh, beginning with uh, verse 12, I'm just going to read real quickly. It says, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. And then it goes on to name the daughters. And at the end, it says in verse 15, it says, nowhere in all the land were there found beautiful women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance, inheritance among, along with their brothers. I always found this interesting. Who's missing in that story? The wives. Because in that patriarchal system, women were seen as property. And what was more important to perpetuate your familial, your, your heritage, was children. And the fact that they're boasting upon the daughters without mentioning the why is to me is very indicative of the that time and place and why it's we have to be very important when we start to talk about uh, taking scripture out of context and applying it to our lives today. Because I think I, uh, I as a woman deserve to be counted upon as something that would be a blessing in a in a in someone's life. But again, we're looking at a, at a different time and place. So that's, I just think that's interesting. But what happened here is that the end of, of the Job story, what we see is that not only was Job's life restored, it was restored be, uh, beyond the blessings that he had before he, met, um, he had experienced all of those tragedies. Now, let's circle back because in the Christian context, the story of Job is often about accepting God's use of trials to purify your life as a source of inspiration. In other words, you'll hear things like, uh, oh, if you're, you know, you have a, a, something that comes upon your life, you might hear something about, well, God won't give you what you can't handle. 
the, and not only have I heard these things said, I have heard they have been said to me. And if I post something about this, the floodgates will open where people will start to tell their stories about how these phrases have been used. So God won't give you what you can't handle, or God must love you to give you this heavy burden. Or, oh, just know whatever you're enduring now, your reward is in heaven. So think about everything that you're going to get when you get on, get out of this physical uh, realm and into the heavenly realm, you're going to be blessed. So in other words, life becomes something that to endure because we're moving on to heaven and just get through this painful time. But we are missing a deeper understanding here that's going to bring us, start to bring us home about all that we're talking about here. Now, I I think I have mentioned several times before that uh, early in my uh, deconstruction, actually long before I even left church, I was reading uh, Bishop John Shelby Spong, who died in 2021. Um, And the book, there's several books of his that I I have uh, read, but the one that touched me uh, greatly is Christianity Must Change or Die. And uh, you can also find a lot of his teachings at progressivechristianity.org. He also has a, his own website called progressivespirits.org. It is behind a paywall, but it's like $5 a month where you can basically re- read all of his writings that are outside of his books, where he adds additional literature and thoughts and scholarly research around a lot of these topics. So I took a deep dive into some of his teachings related to this because I knew that my literal understanding of the Job narrative came from my evangelical Christian heritage. But what is the deeper meaning here? If we accept that Job was written as It was myth written for inspiration to help humans move beyond their limited understanding of where they are now onto their next level of understanding of the divine. What story is there behind Job for us today? So Bishop Spong concludes, and I agree that the book of Job was an invitation to explore the meaning of life on a deeper level. That cause and effect inside this construct of what humans understood about God no longer made sense. The book of Job, the story of Job, is about releasing this understanding and moving to a new level of of understanding. That, in essence, is what religion should be. Its construct here in this ancient literature cannot be taken out of context of its time. And then we try to build something on it. That, that applies to us today, unless we understand that it was about where they were, and then how can we apply it to our understanding today? And when we do that, we understand that the story of Job was about challenging the, uh, this, this belief that God only rewards the just and the righteous and punishes the unjust. So no one truly understands the mystery of the divine. So in other words, you can't just figure out everything by just being good. You can't just figure out everything that that there is about God by just thinking that you're going to have this this checklist that religion has given you and you're going to be fine and you'll never suffer any tragedy. We already know that that's true because we see people suffer who are very religious who are steadfast in their faith. So how can you how can you reconcile the two? And it even goes beyond God won't give you what you can't handle. Well, 
Is that true? So our understanding that we humans have an ability to control divine intervention through our behavior does not serve us where we are now. And uh, Bishop Spong went on to write, this is why there is no religious system that is eternal. But I'll quote that again. This is why there is no religious system that is eternal, end quote. And it simply cannot be. It must change and its fame framework must evolve as humans evolve. So I hope you're staying with me here. So what we're doing right now is kind of is challenging this fact that every, and a lot of us, our indoctrination tells me why I, I try to be a good person. Why do these things happen to me? Well, could it be that it's your limited understanding of how things work for, for the good of the whole and how we don't understand so much about who or even what God is that we have to move beyond that understanding and be invited into a, a new level of understanding? So in order to do that, I'm going to read the last part of what uh, Bishop Spong wrote with, at his conclusion about the story of Job, because I think this is really important for us. Now, you might be thinking, all right, we're talking about why, why God allows suffering, and we have journeyed through the story of, of Job, and now we're talking about religion. And again, it's because for the vast majority of you, you have come to this place from the same place I have, which is my behavior somehow should influence my blessing. My behavior somehow influences my health. My behavior somehow influences how others around me will be protected. But can that be reconciled with reality? Every one of us knows a situation where that does not apply, where even in our own lives, that doesn't make sense. So the only thing answer that we have is that we have to change our understanding of and our, and our uh, expectations around what we can and can control. So if our religious indoctrination no longer serves that for us, then what does? And this is where Spong has always concluded that religion is stuck, specifically speaking about Christianity, is stuck in this time frame of thousands of years ago and is demanding that we move back there and be, be and, and adhere to a rigid dogma from thousands of years ago, instead of moving beyond what the humans understood at that time to where we are now. So to that, he writes, uh, quote, today, we are experiencing exactly the same type of paradigm shift. Our experience has rendered the religious answers of yesterday to be inoperative. The defenders of the, of the inadequate answers of the past are anxious anxious. The critics of those answers feel a new freedom. The God of yesterday dies as we struggle to view the birth of the God of tomorrow. I love that. I'm going to repeat it. The God of yesterday dies as we struggle to view the birth, birth of the God of tomorrow. Job is thus an eternal symbol of that eternal human struggle, end quote. In other words, the story of Job was to invite us to release some of that understanding and accept that no matter where we are in a, in a point in time, there are things that we will never completely understand. By now, some of you may be disappointed that that's where I'm going with this, but we're going to continue because I have more to say and let's see if this doesn't help you with this answer. So 
like I said, I, th I think I mentioned at the beginning that I had done uh, a video on, on TikTok regarding this answer, why does God allow suffering? And I was actually surprised at people's response. I thought I would get a lot of pushback. I thought I would lose followers, but instead we gained about a thousand followers in 24 hours and people were very touched by the answers. There are, uh, by my answer, and there are a few questions I have to go back and, and, and uh, respond to, but there were a lot of thought provoking answers and it really resonated with people. But before deconstructing, I listened to dozens of sermons on why God allows suffering, and every sermon drew heavily from the book of Job, but always, always concluded that suffering was part of the human condition that was either related to your faith or related to teaching you silence and obedience and how in the world can you complain when what happened to Job or even what happened to Jesus on a cross was worse than whatever you're going through? So it was always about silencing your pain to bring forth the Christian theology, always be in your beacon that someone else suffered more. But even in my, even with that theology, that theology pounded into my soul, all the time. I never understood how a loving, all-knowing God needed a four-year-old child with cancer to die in order to prove, quote, his power and control over our world. Now, I put the quotations around his, and that's in intentional, because if you have never, perhaps you've heard this word anthropomorphize. So that's where you take something that is, is either inanimate, uh, an animal, or something that like a God and give them human feelings, emotions, and characteristics. So in the Christian context, that's, that's a, a, a male, of course, because we're talking about patriarchal uh, theology, but a, a male figure that's, of course, gigantic in nature, sitting on a colossal uh, throne that can just zap and my favorite parking space has now become available or zap and my favorite sports team is now winning and zap my family member is healed all the while down the hall in the hospital someone who's praying just as earnestly as watching their loved one die but somehow my anthropomorphized god heard my prayers but didn't answer the other so to be honest, even when I treated that kind of prayer as a concierge service where I could just name these prayers and God would answer, I often found myself just amazed at how many times people would say, thank you, God, even if it was something for simple as finding the blouse that they really loved available in their size, or like I said, the parking spaces that was available and how you would say if it, if things didn't manifest well, our, our ways are not God ways. So, okay. So it's absolutely something that God intervened, except when God didn't. And then we just accept God's, God's ways are not our ways. And there was no reconciling those two very polar opposites of the same theology there. And there was never any, there was never any explanation other than just silently be obedient to that theology. Now, this constant back and forth of thanking God for miracles and not questioning God when calamities still happened continued through my journey, and I continued to see it. And for the longest time, it did rattle me, especially when I started my, my active deconstructing 
uh, journey because I still had problems reconciling this area of my faith. But what I realized is that inside this spiritual wilderness where I was still trying to deconstruct my faith, I had come to a point where I realized how much of my spiritual journey, and I say that as mine because I'm always careful to remind all of you that you might end up in a different place, that where you are on your journey, I do believe our spirituality is as unique as each of our fingerprints and how we move forward to the world is contingent upon where we find ourselves, our passion and our longing. And you could go through a complete one, two, five-year deconstruction only to find that you are planted right back in church. Remember, I'm not proselytizing for you to leave. I ended up leaving and never returned. And that holds my spirituality beautifully. That might not be the case for you. But for me, what I realized is that this spiritual dichotomy of these things that I, that were becoming unanswerable on my, in my time in the spiritual wilderness actually started to give me peace that I wasn't going to find the answers that I don't think that even the story of Job was about accepting that there are things that we are never fully going to understand that yes, prayers can manifest miracles, but I don't even understand how that happens. And, and it doesn't mean that a prayer in just the Christian context, it can be prayers chanted in different languages from different faith traditions and people who do manifestation works with uh, crystals or whatever it is. And don't laugh at me when I say that, because don't tell me that a piece of clear quartz that they put in your watch to help the mechanisms in there stay in tune to stay time to, to keep that watch on time can't do something to your body. It absolutely can. It's nonsense to think that it can't. It's the same way when you can dig up and have radioactive material that's inside this, this place we call home, this earth, it absolutely can impact us in some ways that I don't understand because I don't do crystal work in that way. I'm inspired by and have them have their presence in my home as part of my spiritual practice. But we cannot dismiss how other people are finding answers or manifesting miracles in their lives just because we don't understand it. To dismiss it is, is us putting ourselves in, in this God place, whether you have anthropomorphized them as a lot of religions have, or whether you accept as I do now that I have less understanding about this God energy, after doing years of deconstructing, after healing, after studying, after actively working to come to this place, I have less understanding and more gratitude for this not knowing than I ever did sitting in a church pew. And once again, I accept that that's a dichotomy that's part of who I am that brings me peace. Does that work for you? I can't answer that for you, dear souls. But if you're staying with me, I want to go over a little bit of what I wrote in the blog that accompanies this. We always release the blog a few days early and it's posted at numasoul.com. So you can read this and, and hold. I don't go into the, the book of Job as much as I do here. You know, something's really coming up for me right now. And I'm going to take a hard <laughs> turn here and talk about this. I just saw, you know, I don't talk a lot about the pandemic and, and things because on, on my um, 
on my content. And there's a reason for that because the content that I do 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 is such uh, heavy and people might say it's controversial. I don't think it's controversial at all, but because it's very intensively focused on people's spiritual, mental, and emotional well-being, there are other creators who are doing a much better job and staying much more informed than I am. But I'll be the first to tell you that I am vaccinated and I, you know, I, I do trust the science, but I saw a video the other day of a, an ICU nurse who really had a meltdown about how many people are holding on to faith to not be sick from a vaccine, from a, from a vaccine and not get sick from uh, the virus, but immediately end up in the hospital. And when it looks like that person is going to take a turn for the worse, and then uh, the medical team kicks in to give them the meds they need and to give them the the oxygen they need, the people who are praying for a miracle, when they get it, they praise God and ignore the medical team. And she was saying some very, very hateful things towards that God and those people, because she said, if you believe that, then lay that person, your loved one at Jesus' feet in your church. Where do you draw the line between how you will show up and expect miracles. And this has everything to do with suffering. How far do you take what you believe as I am the beholder and keeper of everything about my well-being because God is in control of my life, then how far are you willing to take that? And I think that is a huge dichotomy in that causes so much tension, especially inside what I call the, an extremist belief. Because it's, it's, it's less about whether or not you're going to take the vaccine and more about what your faith commands you to do. And then where do you release it to come back into the medical, the science-filled realm to seek healing? And I believe that's something that any one of us needs to consider for our own spiritual journey. And where is the balance? How do we reconcile that? Because from the outside looking in, there's a hypocrisy there. And you need to take that and reflect that upon your own life. I know I did. I know I absolutely did. If I'm offering something to you that has a place where it feels hypocritical, then I need to come back and either be accountable to myself and certainly accountable to you to explain where maybe I didn't explain something as good as, I, as it should. And I'd have that inside that video where I said, where I answered why, why there is suffering if there's a God. Several people pushed back and I'm glad they did. And I need to go back, circle back and answer those questions. So for you, think about what I just said and figure out those places where I don't think there's a problem with having blind faith until the point where it comes up against somehow impacting how you're showing up in the world and how that's impacting others. And it may have nothing to do with where we find ourselves in this season of the pandemic, but everything to do with your personal life. So please take that in the, in the manner and with love that it was intended to look upon your own life and see those areas where you might be not considering places in your life where you're trying to put a blanket of faith over something where it doesn't really exist. You're showing other things that, that make it more hypocritical and people where you want to expand and understand your spiritual journey. That's not what you're reflecting back to your loved ones. And that is where tension lies. And that is an opportunity for us to grow and heal and be accountable. So please take that for what it is. I'm sorry that we, we're going to get back on track now. So even after thinking about all these spiritual paradoxes around what or who God is, what 
this what this divine energy controls and i already told you i released the anthropomorphized god that's a that's a, a a male being up there then what is my answer well i can tell you this that i cannot answer why one child four-year-old child dies and what that that everybody's been praying for and another four-year-old child doesn't and the family claims a miracle i'll never be able to answer that question dear one i don't think you can either but does that stop me from pausing to pray it doesn't does that stop me from meditating no does it stop me from actively working on my spiritual journey none of that does i have yet to meet anyone and i'm 60 years old i have yet to meet anyone who can 100 percent with 100 percent clarity explain suffering in the world but what about this what if we embraced that this not knowing the origins of our pain and our sorrow. What if we accepted this journey as something that just points us back to which we came? In other words, how we have evolved as humans, as we have connected, as our communities have gotten smaller, as technology and travel has brought us together so that we understand how people are trying to, trying to understand and explain and comprehend the divine mysteries of the holy. What if we just accept that that is part of this human condition? What if, he, what if we accept that whatever waits for us, this mystery beyond this earthly realm, what if we accept that that's where we're going? And when we do, and when no, nobody really knows what it is because each earth tradition each religious tradition has a limited understanding of what that is. But what if we accepted that that just completes a sacred cycle for all of us where we are born, we live, we love, we lose, and then we die. And we never, we were never intended to completely understand that why we're here. What if we accepted that this physical human experience cannot be fully understood? when we lose or when the arrival of miracles or the absence of miracles are in our lives? What if suffering is understood as a condition of being human instead of accepting or believing that it's the lack of God's presence? What if we just released trying to fully understand the divine? Dear ones, I'll never give up seeking miracles because there is pain. Pain goes far beyond our physical bodies. It extends into our common humanity where we see it in systems of oppressions and systems that devour our natural resources. Until we dive into these voids where, where compassion doesn't exist, where people who are privileged don't help those who are hurting, then true suffering will not end. But using those key elements of how we show up in this table of humanity, that is how we end the suffering of others. But what if when we do this work to end the suffering of others, clarity does begin to come about existence in our own lives? Dear ones, I can honestly tell you, I don't know the answers to all of this, but for me, doing this sacred work is the closest I come to bringing the holy into the human experience. So what about you? Where are you being called to work? to end the suffering? Where is it? Where is it in your home, in your work, in your spiritual community, in your family? Where is it inside you? 
where are you suffering? How can you bring, how can you actively bring relief to that? Beloveds, I wish I had more direct answers, but at this point in my life, I'm more afraid of people who pretend as if they know than the not knowing, because there I find peace, because there I, I release the power that often comes, that surrounds religion, that demands that you understand things one way. And if you don't, then you risk suffering. I reject that fully. And I step into the mysteries of this human experience and embrace that it's surrounded somehow and beautiful, held beautifully and sacredly by this divine mystery that some call God, some call the holy, and it's all good. It's where love lives. Blessed be. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you. I pray you receive something. I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace, be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I will see you soon. to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to Rev Carla's channel for more videos. Submit questions for upcoming Q&A videos or topics of discussion to spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. As always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now!